Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Tuesday, July 9th, 2019. I'm Shannon, and I'm here with Stacy, Amber, and Natalie, and we are going to do an episode that Natalie um, proposed, so I will let her tell you about that in just a moment, but hello, ladies. Hello. Hello. And Amber is somewhere. I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, there you are. Yes, I said three. <laughs> Oh, okay, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. That's okay. All right, so I have some housekeeping stuff, and then I will turn it over to Natalie so she can tell people what we're doing. I don't believe in housekeeping. No. <laughs> no. I agree. Well, you know, I would like a house elf. Oh, come on. Oh, me too. We yeah. could have a house elf for the podcast, and they could just, like, post... Like, you know how, like, on karaoke, like, the stuff just runs across the screen? Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. There could be, like, a house elf voice that read all of the, um, like, housekeeping information that I give. Name is Creature. Yes. Yeah, no. Creature. <laughs> I won't. 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 <laughs> so you can find us on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. Once you're there, you can like and or follow the page. You can also join our Facebook listener group. You can find us on Twitter, but apparently that is harder than I thought. Um, <laughs> the Twitter name is bistro underscore book. But apparently if you search for that, you can't find it. So what seems to work is to search book bistro podcast, all one word as well, just like on Facebook. Um, I don't know why I will look into it and try to make it better. But for now, this seems to be what we have. Um, you can also send us an email because that's like straightforward and simple and good. And that address is the book bistro podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can get a hold of us in any of those ways and someone will get back to you. Uh, Facebook and email seem to be the easiest, but if you are a Twitter person, definitely try to find us over there as well. All right, Natalie, what are we doing today? Today, my friends, we are talking about books that take place outside the U.S., even though some of us are Canadian. So I guess outside the U.S. or Canada, depending on where you live. Um, and this idea came to me because some of my very, very favorite books fall into this category. Um, and I'm talking about some of them tonight. But I know that some of the books I've loved most are those that take place somewhere else that I wish I could visit, especially when I'm reading about those places in the depth of the winter and it's cold and snowy and I'm just wishing I could be somewhere else. And um, instead, I'm just losing myself in a story that takes place somewhere else and imagining that I'm there too. So we've talked about books that take place in different periods, and now we're talking about books that take place in different places. Excellent. So Amber is going to start us off, followed by Natalie, 
me and then Stacy. We are feeling alphabetical this evening. So are you ready, Miss Amber? I am ready. Okay. Okay. So because I am the resident nerd, um, one of my books always has to be nonfiction. And this is actually the best book I read last year. Um, out, of, out of the like 170 that I read. Um, and it is called Two Sisters, A Father, His Daughters, and Their Journey into the Syrian Jihad. Um, and it's written by Asne Sierstad. She is a Norwegian author who has done uh, several other books. Um, and this one is, um, it's Sadiq and Sarah and their children moved to Norway um, in the early 1990s. They're from, they're originally from Somalia. And their daughters, um, Elian and Leila, are, you know, the, the typical, you know, Somali-Norwegian teenagers. Um, you know, they emigrated to Norway when the children were quite little. And <clears throat> one day, Sadiq and Sarah wake up, and their daughters are gone. They're, you know, uh, 15 or 16 years old. They left a note, and they said, Mom and Dad, we're going to Syria to fight, um, you know, in, in, this, in the war in Syria. Um, and this journey follows Sadiq and Leila and Ian and why they, you know, became, why they became radicalized, basically. Um, what he went through to try to get them back. And um, it's, it's even more real because a lot of the stuff, you know, a lot of the communications take place through like messenger, WhatsApp, um, Facebook messenger, emails, things like that. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it's basically the links that this father goes through to get his kids back. And not only the links that he goes through, but like the, the heart searching and the battles that they go through to figure out like how, you know, they went from these, you know, perfectly normal Norwegian teenagers to radicalized young women who, you know, get married and have children, um, you know, with these Syrian fighters. Um, <clears throat> and the ending is very ambiguous. So if you like, um, you know, stories with a very tidy ending, this is not the book for you. It, it absolutely broke my heart. Um, it was you know, at the end of the book, um, I, I felt like n not a lot of questions had been answered, but I think that's what the author was going for. Um, you know, unfortunately, in a situation like this, a lot of times your questions are not answered. And, you know, it was, it was just a really impactful book. I would really recommend that people read it. Um, Audible does a really good narration of it because there are a lot of Somali and Arabic and, um, you know, Norwegian words in it. Um, so if you can get the audio, I would definitely recommend it. And it does have an, an, an interview with the author at the end as well. So um, a really, really touching book. Um, you know, just, you know, like I said, the best book that I read last year, um, you know, if you're at all interested in you know, the radicalization of, you know, any, any faith, really. Um, I would definitely read this book. And again, it's Two Sisters, A Father, His Daughters, and Their Journey into the Syrian Jihad. And that's by Asne Sierstad. I am not much of a nonfiction reader as a rule. 
but this is something that I think I will have to check out. So yeah, thank yeah, you for great. recommending it. Sure. So my first book is called Snowflower and the Secret Fan by yes. Lisa C. And I love this author. And if you love really well-researched, and I mean really well-researched, um, lush historical fiction, women's fiction, um, uh, and that often centers on strong female bonds and relationships uh, with a focus on Chinese culture, um, then you will love this author. Her, her writing is so beautiful, and I always learn so much from reading her books, even though it does focus on fictional characters. Um, so this story takes place in a rural province in China in the 1800s, and it's the story of um, Lily, who, um, whose journey begins when she's very young with her family, um, and we follow her throughout her life until um, she's quite old, um, towards the end of her life. Um, and very early on in her life, she is given the honor of something that's called a Lao tongue relationship. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But basically, it's um, a, a specially chosen sister friend um, who moves through life with you. Um, and you were kind of selected for each other. And back in this time, this was considered to be a very rare and coveted relationship because it's one that's by choice versus your husband, who at that time in particular was not by choice. Um, and so this is a story of how these two girls move through their lives together and follow very different paths, um, including some pretty uh, horrific um, events like the rebellion, rebellion and foot, foot binding, which I'm not sure if you guys know about that, but that's when they used to tightly... Um, uh, wrap a young daughter's uh, feet until and force them force them to walk until their bones break and reshape um, to the what was considered to be the ideal size, which is like four inches. So, oh. yeah, not pleasant. Um, but anyway, so you follow the two girls through their journey um, and the different paths. Um, and, and kind of see how their paths differ and how they come together at the end, despite the various um, hurdles they face. And one of the really um, fantastic things I love about this book is, uh, are all the details about the, the secret writing system they use. So yes. in that, yeah, I think it's called New Shoe So this was, this is a, this is an actual real thing that existed. This is a form of Chinese writing that only women knew. And they taught each other um, and used it amongst themselves uh, to communicate with each other. And I just loved reading about how, not just the writing itself, but the, the relationships that were formed writing together and all the secret messages that these two girls shared throughout their lives so it's a beautiful book I really think everyone everyone here would definitely love it so it's Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. I love it a lot yeah I also really liked um, the Shanghai Girls by her oh I loved that book it's probably my second favorite book of hers 
and there was a follow-up wasn't there dream oh dreams of joy. i read that too yeah dreams of joy i read that one too but yes. a long time ago now so my first pick is here comes the sun by nicole y dennis ben and this is a novel that originally came out in 2016 it kind of languished on my TBR pile. Just I kept thinking about it and then I would get distracted. So I was really glad for the chance to like make myself read it. Um, so this is a story that takes place in Jamaica. And it is about three women. Um, Dolores is the mother. And she has two daughters, Margot, who is at the time that the book opens, um, right around 30 years old. And then her younger daughter is named Tandy. And Tandy is a high school student. I'm guessing she's like right about, I don't know, 15 or 16. So there's a big age difference between the two girls. And they are not a very well-off family. Um, Dolores works in a market stall selling souvenirs, um, some produce sometimes, but a lot of kind of the touristy souvenirs that you would buy if you come to Jamaica on a cruise. So she doesn't necessarily make a lot of money doing this. Um, Margot is working as a clerk in a hotel, like a resort. And she has dreams of moving up in the world. And she really would like to be a hotel manager or just some other job that's not a clerk. Um, when we first meet Margot, she is working at this hotel and in the evenings she sells her body to men in order to get more money and she wants this money so that one day she can send her sister Tandy to medical school. Right now Tandy is attending um, a pretty elite Catholic school and she's hoping that eventually she'll be able to move on to college and medical school and become a doctor. Tandy is not super into this idea. She really wants to be an artist. And she chafes under this huge burden of responsibility that her mother and her sister place on her shoulders. Um, Tandy has a lot of insecurities about herself. Um, there are some scenes where she's trying to bleach the color from her skin. Uh, she does not want to be black. She thinks that she would be much more desirable and beautiful as a white woman. And so she figures the lighter her skin is, the better that will be for her. Um, this is not like a happy, cheerful read. In a lot of case, in a lot of situations, it, it's pretty bleak. But I loved seeing Jamaica as more than just kind of the touristy island that people visit. I really enjoyed seeing how people live and learning about the culture, even when the things that I was seeing, you know, were, were hard to read about. Um, there is a really excellent um, lesbian relationship also portrayed in this story. And we get to see kind of how um, the people who live in the village where uh, Dolores and her girls live, how they feel about lesbians and, you know, the fact that this is something that is not accepted where they live. So this again is Here Comes the Sun. The author is Nicole Y. Dennis Ben, and she's just released her second novel, which is called Patsy, 
that I am really eager to read as well. So this episode was challenging for me because I've read so many amazing books that take place in other environments outside the U.S., and I really struggled with what to pick. But then, just a few weeks ago, I happened to read a book that um, I just loved so incredibly much, and I, I had to use this episode as a way to talk about it. So um, the first book I'm going to talk about is called The Art of Inheriting Secrets by Barbara O'Neill. And this book had everything I love in it. It, you know, is about a woman who is um, kind of doing some soul searching. Um, her very beloved, beautiful artist mother has recently died in San Francisco. And she's a food critic. She works for a magazine. Um, the daughter does. Her name is Olivia. And her mother died during a time in her life of some great trauma. And so she spent a few weeks just kind of like trying to recover from that. And during this time, she figures out that um, she's actually uh, next in line to inherit this ginormous um, falling down estate in England called Rosemere. And she's actually like a countess. And she's just kind of like, I don't even know, like her mother never talked to her about this. She knew her mother was from England, but she had no idea that she, you know, came from wealth. She just sort of assumed because her mother never talked about her childhood that she, you know, grew up in poverty and just in misery. And so when her lawyer tells her, hey, P.S., um, I should probably tell you that you've inherited this estate called Rosemere. She's like, I don't even know what to do. And she and her um, fiance are kind of not communicating well. So she decides she's going to go to England to kind of straighten out all of this. And she's going to take some time for herself. And she goes to this little village in England, and she's here, and it's very different from, you know, sort of urban San Francisco with all of its foodie, wine-drinking, you know, fast-paced kind of lifestyle. And she goes to this sleepy little village where everybody seems to know who she is, and she kind of gets the sense that she's not very welcome in this village at first. And everybody that she meets seems to have an agenda. And they seem to all have different reasons for whether or not they want her to be part of their village. And, you know, she, she goes to this 600-year-old estate, and she's kind of looking around, and parts of it are just breathtaking, and parts of it are just flat-out gothic terrifying, and there's rumors of ghosts, and there's mold in the walls, and in one room, like a bathtub has just, like, fallen through the floor, and it's just, like, laying downstairs, and there's a burned-out ballroom. But there's just vestiges of beauty um, kind of scattered throughout. And she meets um, a man named Samir um, and his family who kind of take her in and kind of embrace her and kind of help her navigate. And as she's walking the beautiful old streets of this village and the countries and, you know, walking through the countryside and working on this estate, she begins to realize that her mother left her clues um, in very mysterious places to explain why she never told Olivia about Rosemere. And so there's some romance here, there's secrets, there's some sort of gothic, you know, kind of undertones to the story. And then there's this beautiful old village and, you know, friendships that are formed and a woman who learns how to be strong on her own. And just, you know, it, it was just a really beautiful book. There's 
really just gorgeous descriptions of food, which always makes me really happy to read about. And, you know, for me, it was just like, it, it checked every single one of my boxes. Uh, you know, a, a heroine who learns how to speak for herself. And I don't know, I loved it so much. So this book um, is The Art of Inheriting Secrets by Barbara O'Neill. And I just, I really highly recommend it. I enjoy her writing quite a bit. Yeah. Yep. I do too. I'm looking forward to her new book that's coming out. I think like, what is it next week? Yes. Um, when this episode airs, yes. um, it will be available. When We Were Mermaids, is that what it's called? When We Believed in Believed Mermaids. Believed in yes. Mermaids, that's right. Yeah. Yes. So I'm really excited about it. But I mean, seriously, if you like books about food and like really in-depth descriptions of like British villages and all those things, like this, this book is for you. It's really great. Okay. So for my second book, I have been practicing saying this name for like three days. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure now. <laughs> no, no. So my second book is called Stay With Me. And it's by Ayobami Adebayo. Woohoo! Um, so this is a book set in Nigeria. And it is, it, it uh, was a finalist for the Women's Prize in Fiction, which I was pretty excited about. And it follows the lives of uh, Jaida and Akin. And... Um, Akin is the husband, and, and his wife is not able to get pregnant. And in Nigeria, this is a really big deal. Um, and, you know, when they met at university, they decided that they, that they were not going to be in a polygamous relationship, that Akin was not going to have a second wife, um, and that Yahida, you know, was just going to be his only wife, regardless of what happened. And four years into their marriage, she still has not had a baby. They have gone to healers. They've done, you know, all the stuff that they, you know, should have done, you know, in order to have a baby and they can't have one. So one day she comes home and her family is all there and they have a new wife for Akeem. Um, and this book is basically all about uh, Yahida and how she does get pregnant, but it is not, it's, it's a really, um, it has far reaching consequences. It has to do with the family, um, how this new wife kind of impacts the family and how it reverberates, you know, throughout. Um, and it's just a really, um, it's a hard book to read, to be totally honest. It's a, it's a very short book, but it's very hard to read. It has a lot of, um, it was, it was kind of out of my zone culture wise. Um, you know, it was, it was, a lot of it was hard to understand just because, you know, I don't know a lot about Nigeria and I don't know a lot about like polygamous relationships and stuff like that. Um, so it was a hard book to read and it was definitely out of my comfort zone, but it was a really good um, and really insightful book. And again, that's Stay With Me by Ayobami Adebayo. This has been on my radar for a really long time. Yeah. Um, I heard an interview with that author last year and I was really intrigued by the story. And so it's sitting on my iPad and I really, I vacillated actually about picking it for this episode. Um, yeah, but then yeah. I knew that you wanted to do it. So I'm glad that you did. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting if you read it in audio too, because, you know, the narrator is also Nigerian. Um, and so she does the accent really well. And the accent is really 
for me, it was very hard to understand because the accent was very strong and that's the way it should be. You know, I mean, there are a lot of Nigerian words kind of sprinkled throughout. Um, so if you were to read it in, um, you know, in print or whatever, it would be maybe a little bit more difficult to read, but in audio, it was almost musical and it was really beautiful too. So my second book is actually a book that was turned into a very successful movie last year that maybe you guys might remember, Crazy Rich Asians um, by Kevin Kwan. And this, this is actually the first of a trilogy. So a three book series, and it is hilarious. It's, this is one of those books that had me laughing from the first page to the very last page. And it's just this hilariously funny story about these three super rich, and I mean ultra rich, <laughs> Chinese families. Um, and all the gossip and backstabbing and scheming that happens when the heir to one of um, the most uh, one of the, the biggest fortunes in China brings home his girlfriend who happens to be an American born Chinese girlfriend, um, which, you know, many of the older relatives don't really approve of very much. And he brings her home to meet his family um, in Singapore to attend what's being called the wedding of the season, because remember, these are like ultra rich people. And so uh, the girlfriend's name is Rachel. And when she agrees to um, travel with her boyfriend, Nick, to Singapore, she's kind of like envisioning this very humble family and just kind of a low-key vacation. Everyone can spend time together and get to know each other. And um, because he, she was never told that he actually is the heir to this great fortune because he tries to distance himself from all of that and kind of pave his own path in, in the U.S. where he's a professor. Um, and so when they arrive, um, she realizes that he actually lives in what's essentially a palace. Um, and she ends up um, riding in private jets more than she actually rides in cars and all these kind of other ridiculously rich things that you can even um, dream up if you tried. Um, and so you meet all of these very quirky, hilarious, rich family members, including Nick's mother, um, Eleanor, who has some very definite ideas about who Nick should marry. Um, and it's not Rachel as an American-born Chinese girlfriend. So um, because of that, and because Nick is the heir to this great fortune, Rachel essentially has this, like, target on her back. And so this is a story of just the hilarious, um, the hilarious lifestyle that these people live and the entangled relationships they have and how Rachel tries to fit into this family who she can't really understand them as much as they can't understand her. Um, and so it's very funny if you're looking for a light read, a very easy read, but one that will just have you laughing from the first page. 
um, while also learning about definitely a lifestyle that I don't think any of us have experienced firsthand, um, then I definitely recommend Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. So my sister-in-law has been begging me to watch this movie with her for a year. Oh, God, and she keeps yeah. saying it's like the best and I need to watch it. Um, Read the book the, first. Okay, that's what I will do because yes. I wasn't sure if I'd like it. I, this is going to sound silly, but just based on the name, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this storyline. And But the way you describe it just sounds it's, like it's, it's very delightful. Funny. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that the author kind of had an upbringing like this, so he's really <laughs> – drawing on that so it's very funny and there's like a kind of a tongue-in-cheek yeah quality to a lot of it like it's it definitely does not take itself very seriously no. it's, it's not at all pretentious like the, the lifestyle is pretentious like over the top but the story itself um it, it's a lot of fun yeah okay so my next pick is a novel that came out last year and it's Next Year in Havana by Chanel Clayton. I read this earlier this year and really loved it. I then read its companion novel which is When We Left Cuba. But this one um, I chose for the episode because it takes place, like, there's a, a storyline that takes place pretty much exclusively in Cuba and so I thought that it fit the episode a little better. But this is a dual timeline novel, and the woman who lives in the present day, her name is Marisol, and she lives in 2017, and her grandmother has just died, and she wants Marisol to travel to Cuba to spread her ashes. Um, this seems to be a thing that people do in books a lot, like go to some faraway place to spread ashes. I've heard that that's actually kind of hard to do. In real life, there's like a lot of paperwork and stuff you have to do to be able to do it, but it doesn't talk about that in the book, obviously. Anyway, so she goes to Cuba, and this is really her first introduction to her Cuban heritage. She knows, obviously, that her family came from Cuba and left during the time of the Cuban Revolution, but she doesn't feel like she is Cuban, if that makes any sense. Um, she just doesn't feel connected to that part of herself. And she wants to. She wants to learn about her family. She wants to learn about the Cuban culture. And she hopes to have kind of a deeper understanding of what that part of herself looks like. So she travels to Cuba and she meets some people who lived there when her grandmother did. And she starts uncovering these secrets about her family. And some of these secrets date back to the Cuban Revolution. So we also are seeing things from the point of view of Elisa Perez, who is Marisol's grandmother. And in the late 1950s, she and her family left Cuba um, to get away from Fidel Castro and the terrible like, communist rule that he was uh, trying to, um, there's a word I want. Okay, so I can't think of the word I want. But she, she and her family leave. They were very rich. Um, her father had this really successful sugar plantation. And everything that their family kind of stood for was being threatened by Castro. And so they left. 
And this was really difficult for Elisa and her sisters as they were leaving everything that they knew um, behind and having to make a new life for themselves in Florida in the late 1950s. So we move back and forth in time um, between 2017 and the time, like the days kind of leading up to the Perez family's journey out of Cuba. And then we see them settling into Florida. I loved, so normally I really enjoy in a dual timeline novel, I'm usually really drawn to the part of the story that's set in the past, just because that's a thing that I don't know a lot about. But here, I found both timelines to be pretty much equally compelling. I loved watching Marisol learn about her family. I loved the strong sense of place that Clayton was able to give um, to Cuba. And you really, you feel almost like you're, you're traveling there. And I love that a lot. But then I did really love watching Elisa have to make this new life for herself and figure out what her place in the world was going to be. Um, Chanel Clayton is a really gifted writer. I, I enjoy her stuff a lot. And so I highly recommend Next Year in Havana by Chanel Clayton. And you can follow it up with when we left Cuba. So you know this book's on my TBR. Like, I've been wanting to read it since I read When We Left Cuba, and I just haven't yet, and now you've, like, rekindled my need to read this other story about different people in the family. So. Yeah, I think you'd really like it. There's a yeah. really nice romance that takes place in the present time. Oh, I do love that. Um, that I, I really enjoyed. <clears throat> I was kind of worried, like, you know, if it would kind of take away from some of the other stuff going on, but it totally didn't. Nice. I have been waiting for a suitable time to talk about this next book because it is a book that um, really impacted me more than most anything else I've ever read in my life. Um, and I just read it for a second time just to refresh my memory on all the, the details of it just before this episode. And again, I, I finished it on um, like Sunday and two days later, I can't stop thinking again about the characters and they're still in my brain. And I, you know, I don't know why this book impacted me so strongly, but um, I'm going to talk about The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. And I'm just terrified I'm going to be unable to do this book justice because just thinking about it, like I get a lump in my throat. I don't know why this book had such a strong impact on me. But um, this book mainly focuses um, on two sisters in France. Just at the beginning of World War II, we have Vienne, and she is the sort of, you know, the older sort of responsible sister. She's married with a child. Um, she lives in the kind of ancestral family home. Um, out in, you know, um, near a, a little French village um, out in the countryside. And, you know, she's kind of living the life that she wants. It's very idyllic and calm and orderly. And, you know, she's very in love with her husband and her, her daughter is like the center of the universe. And then we have Isabelle, who's quite a bit younger than Vienne. And Isabel has basically been kicked out of like 7,000 boarding schools and convent schools for, you know, disobeying and flouting the rules and just not, you know, behaving in the way of a proper young lady. And she keeps running away to go back to Paris to her father. 
their mother died when Vienne was 14 and Isabel was four. And her death really basically impacted the family in different ways. But um, the father basically dealt with his grief by, you know, jumping wholeheartedly into um, a bottle and just basically kind of turning his back on his daughters. And Vienne coped by, you know, making this life with her beloved um, that she met. And Isabel just sort of got left to her own devices. And so this book talk shows how both sisters kind of coped during World War II and how they sort of each in their way are very strong women who do their best to, um, you know, kind of do what they believe is right. And while they're surviving a very horrific time in history, I really did not know about much about the, the German occupation of France until I read this book and just basically how cut off, um, you know, the, the population of France uh, was during World War II. Um, they had ration cards, there was no food. And, you know, in the meantime, German soldiers were just, you know, drinking and eating their way through France and had control of all the food and all the wine. And, you know, in the meantime, we have Isabel, who is very um, passionate and fiery, and she's going to figure out how to, you know, rebel against um, the German occupation. She's going to do her part. Um, and then we have Vienne, who just basically wants to keep her head down, keep, you know, out of sight while her husband is away fighting and just keeps thinking, everything's going to be fine when my husband gets home. Um, and, you know, it's, it's about how she ends up having um, German soldiers staying at her her home and how she copes with that and, and tries to protect um, her daughter and other children in her care. Um, and basically how she, in her very gentle way, sort of finds an inner strength she didn't know she had. Um, and, and Isabel during the war basically is just so passionate and she's going to do really heroic um, deeds to, to save those who need saving from the war. Um, but both in their way sort of discover an inner core of strength and determination that they didn't really know either of them had. And it's a book about, you know, the war, it's a book about deprivation, but it's also a book of great beauty. It's about sisters kind of discovering um, how to love and understand each other. It's about um, a nation who is trying to survive in a very brutal time. And then, you know, so woven throughout this story, there are just these beautiful glimpses of, of France and, you know, parts of Paris and, you know, um, in this little village where, um, where Vienne lives, there, it describes like how all the buildings are just sort of leaning against each other and sort of off kilter and these ancient cobbled streets and the secret network of alleys that the Germans don't really understand. And so it's how um, a network of people in the French resistance are able to kind of move about this village and, you know, kind of commit their um, sort of acts of rebellion beneath the noses of the German soldiers who are staying in their village. And I, it was just, it was beautiful and terrible and, you know, parts made me cry and then parts kind of like you know, knit my soul back together. It was just a really, really well done book. And I just, I don't have the words to describe adequately how wonderful this book was. But if there are any people in the world who have not read The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, please, please read it. it it's just a really, really beautiful 
uh, story. I have a lady on my team at work who every time I talk to her, she's like, have you read this book yet? And I'm like, no, I haven't. Oh, you have to read it. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. I, I, I feel like you are Karen and she is you because like, She's like, this is like the best book I've ever read in my entire life. And she what? just turned 70. Okay, so my final book is one that I read, um, I would say four or five, I, I'm actually long, longer than, ago than that. My grandma actually, who has since passed away, um, recommended this book to me. And she kept recommending it and recommending it. And I kept blowing it off. Um, but it's a fine balance by Ro- Rohinton Mystery. And this is in India in 1975. It's in an unnamed city, so you never actually know where they are. It's by the sea. And it follows the lives of four people who live in this tiny, cramped, small apartment. And it starts out, you're on a train, um, and you meet a student, and you meet two tailors. And it turns out that they're, they're all going to the same place, the same apartment, and they rent rooms from the same widow um and the and while this is all going on there is a government emergency going on and people cannot move freely freely for, throughout the city so this book is it's very long um i would say probably six seven hundred pages at least um and it's just kind of this sprawling epic of india you get to see the good parts the bad parts um you have the widow who, you know, married beneath her, you know, according to her brother, you have the student who's just trying to, you know, make it in this world and make himself a little better. And then you have the two tailors who left their uncle and nephew, and they left their small village um, that had a very rigid caste system. And they're trying to get away from that because, you know, they want to move up in the world. And it's just all about how they interact with each other. Um, how they interact with this emergency. And it's just, it's almost like a novel of India itself um, in those days. And it's just a really interesting, um, you know, really like, it's like a doorstop of a book. It's huge, but you really, you get, you know, you learn the backstories of each character. Um, You know, you really get invested in their lives and you really, you know, you want the best for them, but in some cases, you know, you're not going to get it. So I would definitely, if you're interested in India, definitely give this one a shot. And again, it's a fine balance by Rohinton Mistry. Love big sweeping books. Okay, so my final book is one that I read a few years ago and I loved it so much. Um, I know... Stacy did as well. Yes, I know. And I'm afraid I will not do this book justice, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I will try my best. This is called The Loveliest Chocolate Shop in Paris. Yay! I know, (laughs) Jenny Colgan. And I just like, how could you not love the title? Everything in that title is something we all should love. (laughs) So, I know. So, um, This book, as you can guess, takes place in Paris, which I can tell you from experience is just as romantic and delicious as it sounds. Um, And the story begins when the protagonist, Anna, um, has 
uh, a bad but actually somewhat funny accident. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of funny um, accident at the chocolate factory where she works in um, the north of the, in somewhere in England. In the north doesn't matter. So she has this accident <laughs> and she ends up in the hospital um, and she is sharing a room with her French teacher from high school who she hasn't seen in many years. Um, and her French teacher, Claire, actually has terminal cancer. So she's not leaving that hospital. Um, and Anna and Claire start talking um, for something to do. They're both bored and stuck there. Um, and Anna's very unhappy with her, cur her current situation and her life in general. She just feels like she needs some kind of a change. And Claire starts um, tutoring her in French and kind of like reprimanding her for not keeping her French skills up since high school. Um, and they, but in the process, they get to know each other more. Um, and Anna starts to appreciate Claire in a way that she never did as a teenager, of course. And Claire sees a lot of herself in Anna um, from when she was younger. And Claire convinces Anna, once she's healed and able to leave the hospital, to go to Paris to start over um, and to work for Claire's former sweetheart, meaning like from many, many years ago, who is this master chocolatier in Paris, um, to really learn more about not just like making chocolate, but to learn more about herself and to just be somewhere new. And so Anna does this and goes to Paris. Um, and this, this is actually a dual romance story. So you have Anna's story as she goes to Paris and um, kind of embarks on this self-discovery. In the beginning, she doesn't speak the language. She doesn't know where she's going. She's constantly getting lost. So it's the best city to do that because it's so beautiful. Um, and she has no idea how to make chocolate the way they do in Paris because they do it by hand. Um, and, and all the descriptions are just so delicious. I want to eat chocolate <laughs> every time I think about this book. I know. Um, and it is a romance. Um, she does meet someone who um, eventually love blossoms. But um, at the same time, we learn about Claire and we kind of go back in time as Claire remembers how she met this former sweetheart and how they fell in love in Paris and um, what eventually um, drew them apart, even though at that time they felt that their love would last forever. It's kind of like the typical young love. You think it'll never end. And you learn how they were separated and kind of the, the regrets she has now later in life. And I won't say more, but I will say it's just such a beautiful story about um, life and friendship and how sometimes people come together, not in the way that you originally thought they would, but in a way that ends up being just as impactful um, and kind of just a, a full circle, the full circle that life takes sometimes. And it's, it's so beautiful. Um, I, even the ending it's, it's just gorgeous. I love every part of this book. Um, so this is The Loveliest Chocolate Shop in Paris by Jenny Colgan.
And it made me ugly cry in oh the my best God. possible me way. Too. I'm not, I'm not a teary yeah. person. Like no. I could tear up just talking about it again. Yeah. Um, it was beautiful. And um, <clears throat> I'm so happy you were talking about it, but I, her newest book <laughs> kind of gave me the same feeling. So if you haven't read the bookshop by the shore yet, you have to, um, it's the same sort of like displaced thing. So you know, there's also the books. There's also the bookshop on the corner. On the corner, yeah, which is yes. really good as well. That that's yes, my first and only there. book I've read by that author so far. Oh, and, I, and I was you just have like, this to read is it. The best book I know. Ever. Well, all of her books are good, but yeah, yeah, this one in particular, I agree with Stacy. It just impacted me so much. It's just beautiful. Well, and I feel I like she made Paris so much a part of the plot. Like just yes. you know, her funky apartment and like her housemate and his costumes for the Paris <laughs> opera and like yes. all the things like it was just, I mean, it was literally everything in a book that I think a person could possibly need to make their soul feel good again. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I love And it. like wrapped up in this lush chocolate. story <laughs> is, I know chocolate is also this kind of like walking tour of Paris because she describes the setting so well. It's really, it's, it's just very vivid and, uh, what a great book. I have not read her yet, although I want to. <gasps> at all? Shannon. No. Oh, my at goodness. All. Oh, read the bookshop okay. on the corner. You'll really yeah. like it. Yep. Yeah. Yes. If you love books and ugh, I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So my last book is a thriller that takes place in the Australian outback. Ooh. And for some reason, like, I don't like the wilderness in real life. I really don't. Like, I don't want to go to the wilderness. My father's always talking about how he wants to be off the grid and he lives up on these like 20 acres of pine forest that my brother owns up in um, Northern Michigan. And I am just not interested in the wilderness in real life, but books about the wilderness make me really happy. Um, So like Alaska, like that makes me happy. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll do an episode one day about books in the wilderness. Um, But anyway, this is about the Australian outback, which is kind of a a hot, deserty wilderness. Um, So basically, this is The Lost Man, and it is by Jane Harper. I figured it's good to tell you the title before I tell you what it's about. (laughs) Generally works better. So this is the story of the Bright family. And they own these huge, like, sprawling pieces of property and they are cattle farmers now the family is pretty dysfunctional there are three sons and two of them live together in the kind of the big like family home but there's just so much strife and so you never get the sense that like even though these people live together that they're they're very close and then there's Nathan who is who is the older brother, several years ago, he did a terrible thing. And I won't tell you what the terrible thing is, but it's terrible. And ever since that day, he has been kind of a pariah. Um, His family still deals with him, but the people in the nearest town really don't have any use for him. And they would really prefer it if he never came to town. And so he doesn't. But when the story opens, Nathan is called to a location kind of midway between the land that he owns and the land that his brothers own. 
And he is told that his younger brother, Cameron, has died. And what no one knows is how he died. So he is like miles away from his car. Now in his car are pretty much all the things that you need if you're going to be spending any time outside in this like super hot Australian climate. So there's water and there's food, um, but he doesn't have any of those things with him. And so Nathan begins to wonder if Cameron just became like really disenchanted with life and walked away and allowed himself to perish from exposure. So a form of suicide, but he doesn't, there's something about that that doesn't quite ring true for him. So he goes back home to the family home where his mother is and his youngest brother and his wife and their children. And he begins trying to piece together Cameron's last days in hopes of understanding like what, what went wrong and what actually happened to Cameron. Um, this is not one of those novels that is like so unpredictable. You have no idea what's coming. It's not like that. Instead, if you enjoy Tana French, um, Jane Harper writes a lot like Tana French. There is a lot of introspection. You spend a lot of time in people's heads. And even though there is action, it's a quieter, simpler type of action than you get in some of these like super twisty books that you know catch you completely by surprise. So it's a different kind of book. Um, it's not my usual psychological thriller, but I really enjoyed everything that Jane Harper writes. And she takes full advantage of her settings to make her books just really sparkle. Um, everything she writes takes place in Australia, but this is the first one that actually takes place in the outback. And I loved it so, so much. So once again, that is The Lost Man and it's by Jane Harper. I'm also really excited to read The Dry by her. The Dry is super good. It's yeah. the first in her Aaron Fox series. And then Force of Nature, which is its sequel, I really, really loved. Yeah. I'm really excited to read those. Yeah, I think you would like them. Well, <clears throat> for those of you who know me at all, you know I'm not a huge fan of any sort of thriller type book. But I do really love urban fantasy. Yes. And so how could I not talk about a book where the setting is legitimately almost a character in this book, in this series? So how could I not talk about the Fever series by Karen Marie Monning, a, a specifically Dark Fever, which is the oh, first one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And so... So the Fever series um, now I think is um, 10 books. Am I right, Natalie? Yes. 10 books? Yeah, 10 yes, books. And I, this series to me was sort of a revelation. I, I wasn't a huge fan of like urban fantasy or, you know, paranormal, paranormal books at the time. But I loved everything that Karen Marie Monning wrote. So I decided I would give this, this series a try. And this book um, focuses, the series focuses on a young woman named Michaela Lane. And she is um, a 22-year-old, when, when our story starts, she's a 22-year-old bartender in a small town in Georgia. And basically her entire life is about being happy and 
you know, dressing in like pink and fluffy colors and being, you know, very fashionable and beautiful and living in a world of sunshine and joy and playing volleyball with her best friend who is her sister and just living a life of, you know, just happiness and low stress. And, you know, at the very beginning of the book, this picture is painted of, of, of Mac laying by a pool at her parents' home in Georgia, listening to What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong and just loving life with her I'm Not Really a Waitress um, by OPI um, nail polish on, which is actually one of my favorite colors. Um, it's, it's kind of a classic. And it just kind of tells you right there who this woman is. She's blonde and just life has been very easy for Mac. And she finds out that her sister, who has been studying abroad in Ireland, in Dublin, she's been killed. She's been murdered in an alley. And this basically, you know, rocks the family to its very foundations, to its core, because, you know, Alina was a wonderful person, obviously, and, and Mac and Alina were very close. Well, after the funeral, Mac replaces the cell phone that she dropped into the pool one sunny afternoon and finds a voicemail um, from Alina just hours before her death. And Alina says all these really weird, strange things about how you don't even know who you are. We have to find the Shisa do, you know, um, you know, I, I need you and just weird things that, you know, Mac has no idea. So she decides she's going to travel to Dublin because after a few weeks, the, the, um, her, her death is just kind of put into the, um, you know, unsolved cases file, Alina's death. And just, you know, there was no, they can't find a motive or anything, the, the, the police in Dublin. So Mac's going to go on her own in her, in her pink blonde glory. And she's going to go and solve this murder case. And she's going to make them sit up and listen to this voicemail and, and, and solve her sister's murder. And Mac gets to Ireland and things get very strange. She's seeing very odd people who one minute look like gods and the next minute look like hideous abominations and just are very creepy. And, and, you know, people approach her and say very strange things and she can't understand the accent. And, you know, she goes to the university where her sister was studying and people didn't know her there because she never came to class. And so there's all these mysteries. And then parts of the city are very strange. Like the streets are deserted. She, you know, gets lost in this weird fog and there's like, all these paper husks like blowing around and she all of a sudden wanders into this bookstore one rainy afternoon and, and finds this very strange man named Jericho Barron's very compelling kind of cold yet compelling man who seems to know way more about Mac and her sister and this elusive, whatever the heck it is she's to do. Um, and so Throughout this first book, it's, it's kind of about Mac sort of learning a little bit more about who she is and what she's seeing out in the world um, that is sort of beyond the realm of what, you know, your average human is able to see. And what I love most about this book is how, like I said, Dublin is like a character. And, um, you know, the author is very good at describing all of the passion and the like the joyous excess of this city and, you know, the, the beautiful history and the old streets and the, the temple bar district. And it's just the most amazing 
series. And I'm, I, I'm not doing it justice because I'm trying to only focus on the first book. And I don't want to give too much of it away in case there's somebody out there in the world who hasn't read this series before. But um, it's, it's amazing. And it has this like slow burn, amazing epic love story that kind of weaves throughout the books. And, you know, it's about a very young and fluffy, happy girl kind of coming into her own as a truly kick-ass heroine. And, you know, set against the backdrop of Dublin and its history and the Fae. And it's just an amazing read. So if by some odd, you know, <laughs> twist of fate, there's somebody out in the world who has not read these books before, please uh, read the Fever series, starting with Dark Fever by Karen Marie Moaning. It's really, really good and worth your time. The first I love the five. We're like yeah. The so first five. Me. First five. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then and it kind of went off the reels in ice. And I was like, then it switches perspective. Yep. Well, that does it for us this evening. Thank you to Natalie for coming up with this idea and to Stacy and Amber for helping to um, put this episode together. Thanks, as always, to Christine for her fantastic editing for each of these episodes. They are very different when we record them um, from what you end up hearing. So we, yes. we appreciate that. True that. And of course, we want to thank everyone who has joined us as we bring you various episodes of Book Bistro. Um, we couldn't really do a podcast if people didn't listen to it. So we are definitely glad that you're here. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.